0: We are here at the EIF seminar: Liberalism versus populism. How liberals can win and uh, beat the populists. Um, with participants from uh, more than 15 countries, we have explored in the last couple of days how the values of the two political movements, but also ideologies, class re- with each other, how the politics, especially of the populists nowadays, work, um, what their communication strategy is, what the vision of society is that they have. So we kind of mapped the whole populist challenge to the liberal societies from various angles. And today we covered the politics of populism more in depth with a very nice discussion with two wonderful guests. And now we will have also a little podcast episode with these two guests. But before going right into the topic, let me introduce myself and the two guests to you. Um, my name is Sven. I'm the facilitator of this seminar. Uh, I do a PhD in political philosophy at King's College London. Um, and I'm the Secretary General of the International Federation of Liberal Youth, IFLRI, which is one of the largest youth organizations in the world, uh, serving as an umbrella organization for liberal youth organizations, liberal NGOs. Um, my two guests today are Milos. Uh, Milos is the international officer of uh, Nowoszesna, which is the Polish Liberal Party. He is also an uh, experience with civil society, where he was involved with Project Polska and still is involved with Project Polska, um, and he's also on the board of directors of the European Liberal Forum ELF. We also have uh, Ines with us. Ines is the international officer of uh, UNOS, the youth organization of the Austrian Liberal Party NEOS, Ines has uh, represented uh, Junos and Nios at many international events and is very well versed in terms of international cooperation, especially against the populists when it comes to Austria, Hungary, Slovakia, Czech Republic. Um, Ines is also now at the moment running for the national parliament in the snap elections in Austria, and uh, both of them have very interesting stories to share about the different stages of populism in their countries. And now let's dive right into with discussing the values of populism and how they are experienced in the respective societies. So, Milos, maybe you can start with talking a little bit about um, the values
1: of the populists that you kind of face in Poland. Sure. Uh, Hi. So, my name is Milos. I come from Poland. I'm international officer of Nowoczesna, Polish Liberal Party, also a member of the board of directors of the European Liberal Forum, so the think tank of the ALDE Party. And in Poland, we've been facing the wave of populism for at least four years. So, when in 2015, the Law and Justice Party, Peace, uh, won the elections and they have the full majority in both chambers of the parliament and are totally reshaping the Polish political scene. If it comes to their values, they're they're pretty clear. They they have their agenda is is very very clear. So, they're first of all, I would say, anti-European. So they are very much. How would they put it? It's like pro Poland, that Poland always comes first. They are not nationalistic in in that term. They are also extremely conservative. So they believe in a vision of the of the society that is conservative, that is uh, very Polish, focused on tradition, focused on on Catholic Church, focused on uh, yeah on, on the very ultra conservative. Uh, values they are also uh, if it comes to the economy and their values, they would say they are definitely illiberal. This is how they would put themselves, how they would label themselves because uh, they believe that liberalism is something that left many people behind, and their uh, their main goal. Is to bring these people back to the to the mainstream and uh, you know change the elites in that in that sense. So basically to elevate everybody who was not so well off uh, so far. So I would say this is like the three main values of, of this uh, this government.
0: Yeah, thank you, Bilos. So we also have uh, Ines from Austria with us. And uh, just to contextualize, it is um, a couple of weeks after what is was called the Ibiza Gate of the Austrian government, more precisely the FPÖ party or the FPÖ party's leader, uh, Christian Strache. So maybe uh, Ines can explain a little bit about the values of FPÖ and what they are battling with in Austria.
2: Yes, so um, the FPÖ in Austria, um, they've been involved in what you called Gate, And this also showed kind of what their values um, are, Because they are very anti-media, like they're critical of the media, they're anti-Muslim, anti-migration, and um, they're anti-elitist, most of it all. And uh, to contextualize that, um, in Austria, the SPÖ, the Social Democrats, and the ÖVP, the Austrian People's Party, they've been in government ever since after World War II. And they've kind of split up the country. So everywhere where there's been a People's Party president, there also had to be a social democratic president somewhere in governmental positions. And so the FPÖ kind of used this, used the frustration that people had with this um, fixed system um, and tried to give the frustrated people a voice. Unfortunately, this voice is, like I said, anti-migrant, and um, sometimes they also have incidences of very um, horrific racism. And as you mentioned, Ibiza Gate, they uh, they had a scandal where they were talking about illegal party fin- uh, funding and um, about giving government contracts to people um, just because they bought their influence. So um, it's it's a very difficult situation right now in Austria concerning media and um, transparency.
0: Yeah, and I think we see the, the backlash of the so-called populist movements against mainstream media like everywhere. In Germany, we see the Alternative für Deutschland, AFD, is heavily... Uh, um, putting rhetorics against what they call mainstream media that are apologetics for the regime, like the current elected German government, which is not like a regime in the classical sense. Um, So what puzzles me about these populist movement is that they have different... Um, the backgrounds, like think of, for example, Viktor Orban, who spins the uh, almost anti-Semitic message sometimes about George Soros, and is also very anti-Muslim, but they nevertheless cooperate then with Netanyahu, so Israel's leader, or they cooperate with Erdogan, Turkey's leader, on issues. So, do they have, like, a particular vision, um, these populist movement? Do they have a vision for their own country? Do they have their vision for their own movement, or do they have a global vision? What is your kind of perception from how you see the scene? Maybe we start with Milos again.
1: I think there is two different things. So first of all, they are definitely very pragmatic. They don't want to be isolated on the on the European or global scene on the global scene. And since most of the governments and societies, especially in the European Union, are against them because they are, you know, liberal uh, governments, liberal in a very broad sense. So they are not illiberal like Hungarians or, or, or the or Hungarian or Polish government. They're looking for allies wherever they, they can find them. So it may be Netanyahu who, who is still willing to talk to them. It may be Erdogan who is still willing to talk to them or or Trump who is also... I think, desperately looking for, for uh, uh, any allies in, uh, in in Europe. So they are looking at just wherever they can, and they don't really uh, care about who is their collocator like on, on, on the other side. But on the other side, uh, in Poland, inside the country, they have a very clear vision of, of what they want to do, which is very much connected with, with the values. They just want to preserve Poland as a country of Polish people. Polish people are... Uh, uh, traditional people uh Polish Catholic people definitely there is no space for 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 minorities of of uh all sorts and 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 this this vision is very clear and also what's what 's important next to the vision is is the message in this term that the message can be very different inside the country and outside the country. I definitely believe that uh the the vision they they present inside Poland is very different than the vision they, they present when they go abroad to Brussels or to Berlin. Uh, they are showing their more moderate, their more European uh, face and they are using the language in the negotiations they would never use in their propaganda uh, back home. So so this is this 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 pragmatism, but it's, it's it's more more than pragmatism. It's it's just basically using all means to reach their goals. And the main goal is to change the society in, into the way they, they would like to see it and is to win next elections to, to be able to change the society.
0: Yeah, I think that's interesting to see that there is a, a, a pragmatism to achieve the overall goals on the individual islands, let's put it that way. like Different countries, different communities have different visions and the populist in each different country has different visions, but overall they seem to be very pragmatic in how to overcome this. Uh, I think it's more so sort of backlash maybe against the liberal order They always also make this argument against the liberal world order, against international institutions, so to cooperate kind of against this order that has emerged. Is it similar in Austria, Ines? What would you say?
2: Yes, so in Austria, the FPÖ also has um, some cooperation with other uh, European nationalists, where they're pretty much lobbying together for um, for a greater nation state within the EU. So more power to Vienna and to Austria and away from Brussels. Um, and it's also very similar when it comes to the vision and the values, because uh, the FPÖ um, promotes the Christian values or what they th- perceive as the Christian values. And um Therefore, is also very anti-migration, anti-Islam, um, and um, marginalizes those groups of people. And um, they use rather harsh rhetorics to get um, to get across that message. But on the other hand, when they were in government, um, they had to. Uh, to to lower their um, their harshness because um, otherwise they wouldn't have gotten where they are and um, it's it's rather scary to see how they can switch from one phase to the other uh, without having an, any consequences.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems interesting how these different visions play out because ultimately we see that they always want more power, for example, for Vienna or for Warsaw um but within the country what is your observation is then there is also centralization towards one party and one person that's what we feel so example saw in, in in Russia of course as a paradigm case or in Turkey so there's also similar trends in Poland and Austria that you have a more centralization process within the country so they want to take the power away from these international or supranational levels but then they condon- condense power at one center or what's the what's the experience
1: no absolutely like so Polish uh Peace Party, they, we say that what they do is basically going back to what we have what we had before 1989. So still in the communist regime. So when we didn't have the sovereignty of the people, but we have the sovereignty of the, of the party basically. So, so the idea is that all the power is concentrated in hands of one party. And in the case of peace, there's a, it's concentrated in the hands of, uh, of the party chairman who is a simple MP. He's not the president of the Republic. He's not the prime minister. He holds no legal responsibilities for what's going on in the country whatsoever, because he is a simple MP. And uh, so in his hand, in his hands he has the judiciary right now he has of course the executive and the legislative power so all three powers are 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 controlled are dominated by by one person and this is very scary but also we can observe something something more this is the concentration of the power uh also from the from the regions so from the, from the the local and regional power uh it's right now according to the peace uh, ideology, it should be more concentrated in the cen- on the central level. So they are definitely against the, uh, the, the local authorities and the regional authorities who are definitely independent so far. It's important to mention that in Poland, all the big cities, all the cities are in hands of the opposition. So there is, there is not a single big city or even like a mid-sized city that is governed by peace. Peace does not have mayors in big cities. I think the biggest city that peace has a mayor is like, you know, city number 60-something uh, if it comes to the size of the population. So, uh, so also peace sees the cities uh, that are more progressive as one of their enemies and they are fighting actively using all their propaganda tools against the mayors of the cities, especially the most progressive mayors. And uh, they would like to propose more, more, more laws to take more powers away from from the mayors and city councils and and put it uh, on the central level. And also in Poland we have two pillars of regional power. It's governmental and it's self-governmental. So there is the governor appointed by by the prime minister in each region, but there's also a local parliament and they would like to give more more power to the person who is appointed by by the prime minister. Uh, instead of of the local parliament, and especially if it comes to the EU funds that are very important in in changing the the country, and it, this is still in hands of the people in, in the regions.
0: Yeah, that's very that's a very interesting phenomenon, the, the centralization of power there. Uh, How's it in Austria? I mean, we are not at a, at the same stage. We yeah. have to also flag that that of course, at this point in time, Austria is very different from Poland. But what is the trends that you observe, Ines?
2: Well, within the FPÖ, there has always been um, the tendency that Strache. Ruled over everything. He was on almost every poster for campaigns, and he had the last say in any election list. And now the ÖVP, the People's Party, they kind of um, did the same thing with Kurz, our former, now former chancellor. Um, it was very centralized onto his person and nothing else, and he was in charge of everything. Um, and when it comes to the government and decentralization or centralization, it's interesting that the FPÖ always wanted to have more direct democracy, more giving more say to the people. But when they were actually in government, there was a huge, um, a huge topic of uh, non-smoking um, restaurants and um, in in restaurants, in bars, in clubs. And the FBA was very strongly against this. So, we had a law that would prohibit smoking there. And um, they made a deal with the UVP to overrule this law. And so, people were very disappointed, very angry, because they were looking forward to having smoke free um, restaurants, smoke free bars. And so we had um, a petition and um, almost over 800,000 people actually signed it. And it was a very huge deal. And at that point, the FPÖ said, no, we do not want to change our decision. We don't even want to actually talk about it um, because it didn't reach a million and before that, they were always saying it needs to be a, a lower threshold and um, so it, it's kind of interesting to see what they actually want and how they act when it actually comes to those um, to those um, events. It's very different
0: yeah, maybe they are follow- up because. Uh, A lot of populist movements that we observe, they are not only anti establishment or very uh, nationalistic or community based, you can look to the right or to the left, ultimately they are rather on the collective stance and they always uh, make this moralizing argument about democracy, the majority wants this and that. Um, But for the way the party politics are perceived, Strache seems to be, and the FPÖ seems to be, an example where the Person gets more important than the party, and that's kind of already a transformation of the party system. Let's think of Trump; he is so important that the Republican Party kind of fades out. And um, how is this within in in Poland? Because peace is kind of the synonym here of a populist movement. Kaczynski is important, but how do you perceive that? Is the the personal appeal of Kaczynski so outperforming, or is it peace as a party in the front of this populist movement?
1: How would you judge? So, so definitely. Kaczynski is the leader of the party and there is no doubt about that and if there is no Kaczynski I think there will be no peace I think the party would split into a few factions so so he is the one who's actually keeping the party together uh, but but party is definitely more than that and uh, and Kaczynski would not be able to do it with, without this party and the party has many leaders who are actually fully dependent on Kaczynski uh, but but, but they're popular leaders, people like them. So if, if we look at the European elections, the, Beata Szydło, the former uh, Prime Minister of Poland, appointed by Kaczyński, uh, she got all, more than 500,000 personal votes in the EP elections. So, you know, they, they also build their leaders who are extremely popular. Also, probably the Prime Minister that we are having now, he's also popular, but but he, he's created by, by the party, he's created uh, by, by Kaczyński. So, I, th- I think if we didn't have Kaczynski, also we wouldn't have peace like we have right now. Maybe there would be some, some other movement. Maybe uh, there would be something different. But I, I, I think that the, the hardcore populist movement would be smaller. That also within the peace right now, there are groups who are who are not really in favor of everything. Uh, Bad that's going on. Who are not in favor of the of the court reform, of the education reform, of the conflict with the European Union, but they are there since Peace became just a big popular party in Poland. Like forty five percent voted Peace last time, so this is not anymore uh, a hardcore extreme right party. This is this is a big conservative party with different wings uh and uh, yeah and uh, but but without the leader i think the situation would be would be very different and probably some more moderated people uh would would create some, some something else but right now yaroslav Kaczynski is uniting them all
0: yeah for the fpo is an, an interesting case again because they had already with uh, Jörg Haider early on a very charismatic leader and then the fpo kind of faded from the political discourse after uh, Haider's death um but Strache then revitalized somehow the movement. Um, but Ines is already shaking her head at me, so I guess she uh, disagrees with my assessment to, as to a slight degree. Uh, just keep in mind that, for example, Erdogan, the AK party, I think without Erdogan there would no be such a movement anymore. Trump is a good phenomenon where he steps in front. Uh, Duterte, of course, in the Philippines was like a one-man show. So you have very different manifestations. And peace and fPO are so interesting because they still have uh, party capacity and if they build it up it will be established movement that are not only relying on one charismatic leader and that's why I think we have to pay so much attention to it so h- how would you assess FPUs? they are like one of the populist movements who sustained over time while others faded out very easily
2: yeah the the thing you were just talking about the fpu um, didn't fade because of Haider's death uh, they split up before that um, it's uh, it was the knittelfeld um, event where it They split up into the FPÖ and uh, the Haider uh, wing. And Haider established a new party, the BZÖ, the Bündnis Zukunft Österreich. And after his death, that party faded. But um, the FPÖ struggled at first, but Strache kind of built it up from the ground again. And uh, then it got more and more votes again. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's very concerning when it uh, when you see that all the power is uh, concentrated onto one person. You saw it with um, Ibiza Gate. Uh, Strache was on the voting list as he was on almost every voting list um, in uh, that the FPÖ had, and he was on the last spot on spot forty-two. And um, one week after the video was released, the EU elections took place, and the FPU campaigned with um, now more now more than ever jetzt erst recht, um, and he got enough personal votes um, in order for him to uh, get a direct mandate. Um, a few days ago, now he decided not to take it, but still. So there's lots of people who Feel that Strache is the FPÖ and um, who su- still support him even though they know all of this happened.
0: Yeah, and this is, I think, very concerning because now you see a little bit of how political discourse can ultimately play out. It seems to normalize certain practices, so maybe it has even corrupted the, the minds of the people or like the, the way people think about politics that is a corrupt system, anyways. So I can even vote for somebody who is explicitly. Uh, corrupt or would give a crucial infrastructure projects out there against uh, normal rules of procurement, against the rule of law. So, all of these things do not seem to matter because the discourse is now so hostile. Your friend or enemy? So in Trump's case, of course, it's also uh, something that is often mentioned because he's so dividing into friends and the enemy, the liberals, the Democrats, the mainstream media, they're always the enemy of the people, he would also say. Orban, Erdogan make very similar claims. Um, So how do you perceive populist discourse or how is discourse right now in society? Is it friend versus enemy or is there still a pluralist discourse in your countries? So how is it in Poland? I think there is something going on that is, is interesting to reveal?
1: It's it's really difficult because Polish society is highly polarized right now. And uh, many sociologists, they say that Poland is among the, a few countries in the world that are so polarized. Actually, people don't talk to each other because of the political views. You are in favor or against, you are in the peace camp or you are against the peace camp, and this is something that is ruining, like you know, Christmas uh, dinners at many many Polish tables because these people cannot talk about politics anymore. It's it's not so much like talking about politics and social issues, but more like talking about religion, and this is something really bad for the society. Especially that this uh, this uh, this thing this this wall between the people is getting higher and higher every day. Because uh, because two camps just cannot find any common language, any common topic. It's also connected with the fact that peace is really using all the propaganda tools to to, to build this wall. Is is using the public TV, change the public TV into like a propaganda tube of the party, where the the all the opposition leaders are, are shown as the traitors of the nation and uh, and so on and so forth. They 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 never say opposition in the public TV. They always say a total opposition. To say that everything they do is like it's totally. Uh, it's totally not acceptable for the opposition. So everything good this government is doing, is uh, is to- uh, the opposition is totally against. So uh, so 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 it's a very difficult situation. I think it's not going to be uh, easier anytime soon because this is about the this is not about politics anymore. It's just about very basic values and about two camps who like two different uh, camps who cannot find any, any common language.
0: Yeah, and In Austria, it it seems similar. I mean, we recall the presidential elections in 2016, where it was really uh, one camp against the other. There's like a whole nation divided, and it was so small, the margin between the two. Uh, I, I still remember the debates. It's incredibly heated, something that probably we didn't expect from Austria at that point. So, Ines, how would you judge?
2: Yes, so we had 2016 was our presidential election year, because we had to redo the election, and then... The redo election was um, had to be redone because of some glue issues. And so we had a whole year of that. And um, starting in April, it was really bad. So it was either uh, Alexander Van der Bellen, the former Green politician, or um, Norbert Hofer, uh, the FPÖ politician. And I could also see that there's some... <sighs> Also, family disputes um, and and in my um, my fr- my friends they were also kind of um, some were very angry when it um, when it came to the topic of presidential election. Uh, but after this presidential election was over, um, it kind of normalized again. So um, it got more pluralistic again and. Um, there it, it got less heated fortunately we'll see how it turns out this um, general elections in uh, September but um, I'm hoping for the best that it doesn't get polarized again
1: both
0: of you have elections coming up in the next couple of months so <laughs> the, the, the question has to come how to beat the populist in elections that's where you want to beat them on in the minds of people, of course, in the ideal bed, the, the battle of ideas. But let's talk about politics. How do you beat the populists? How do you approach this? So,
1: uh, peace is great in mobilizing people, and we saw that in the EP elections when they got some one million additional votes. One million of people who didn't vote them last year in the regional elections they actually went to vote, and uh, it's it's interesting because the turnout in Poland in the EP elections. Uh, in 2014 it was 24% and this year it was uh, it was uh, 45% or 46% so you know it was like uh, it was it doubled and uh, so peace found way to mobilize people and i think we just have to do the same we have to have two things in mind like first of all is the polish electoral law that promotes big parties if we want to have more seats than uh, than peace it's just not enough that we have Three opposition parties who are who have a, about fifty percent of support, we need to actually have like a one block who has uh, who has about fifty percent like forty fifty percent support to have more 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 seats in the parliament because this uh, this system promotes big parties this system promotes par- parties like peace right now to give them more seats and bonus in the parliament, so we just need to find a new formula of cooperation in. In politics before the elections. And I think we've learned a lot also from our Hungarian colleagues when they run in the last general elections in a very divided form. There was no cooperation between the opposition parties. And then after the elections, they did their numbers and they saw how many seats they could have gained more if they uh, had been cooperating, but they didn't. So we have to cooperate with other opposition parties and we, we, we are doing it, we've been doing it. Uh, so this is the one thing and the other thing is just to mobilize our voters we need to do what peace is doing for many years already we need to be where where the voters are and especially in the smaller towns and and countryside Uh, I feel that the opposition gave up and did not not campaign at all in smaller locations. We believed that only big cities will give us the victory, especially in the EP elections, because we thought that the EP elections are about Europe. So our urban voters would be super mobilized, and they would go and vote, and they did. But peace mobilized more people in the smaller locations, and we have to do that too. We have to go there and just campaign and convince them. Like, what is our vision for Poland? What are our proposals for the country? And uh, and just just yeah mobilise the people to go and vote because many people who would vote for us they stayed home in the EP elections because the campaign was just very disappointing Okay,
0: what is uh, the fpo uh, doing in, in, in the upcoming campaign what do you anticipate I mean we are very early on in the process and how can you beat them as NEOS
2: well, the FPÖ, of course, tries to, um, again, mobilize their voters and um, show that the Ibiza scandal has nothing to do with the FPÖ now. Strache is no longer um, in in the FPÖ vote, on the FPÖ voting list. Um, so we will see how this turns out, if they can distance themselves from the scandal Um but what NEOS does and what um, actually all parties should do and um, have to do is to restore confidence in, in democracy and politics. Because right now it is destroyed. There's people who doubt that their vote counts. That uh, There's people who say politicians are corrupt. And who could blame them? They saw a video where the vice chancellor try to, to get more and more um, power through buying um, influence in, um, in a newspaper. And I think what uh, NEOS has to do there is to stress our value of transparency. We've always been uh, the most transparent party. We have all of our um, party funding online, so every citizen um, can just look it up see where we get our money from and also which is um, which is unique, where we spend our money. So who do we give the money to? And I think this should be a standard that the citizens know where their taxpayers' money go to and um, that they can be sure um, that uh, that nothing shady happens with it. And I think this is one of the most important things we need to stress for the next elections. And another thing is um, the youth. There's um, there's a lot of um, uh, dissatisfied youth, um, especially when it comes to environment, because most year, uh, almost the whole time, the main topic was migration. But no one ever talked about future-oriented politics and um, helping the youth um, and the next generation. And I think this is something we need to keep in mind as well, that migration um, is a topic, but the most important topic should be preparing Austria for the future.
0: Okay, that sounds good. And also, of course, we are, as liberals, not uh, falling for the Machiavellian trap and have to conceal our values uh, in favor of political power. And uh, with that, I'd like to thank you for the interview. And yeah, cheers.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you.